I hate to wait. If Amazon can't get it to me by the next day, I find that frustrating. And I long to live in a zip code where Amazon will deliver the same day. That would be heaven to me. I hate it when you call the doctor and they say, we have an appointment available in July. And you're like, I wanted to come at two o'clock this afternoon. And when the light turns green and you don't step on the gas, I am that guy that will honk the horn. And do you remember dial-up internet? That was a nightmare. But we didn't really know it was a nightmare, so it wasn't so bad. But can you imagine waiting 30 seconds for the internet to respond now? We'd all die of impatience. I don't have the patience for stuff like that. I've heard that good things come to people that wait, but I'm not so convinced. We aren't good with delayed gratification. You're probably a lot like me. We're not good at waiting for something because we want stuff to happen now. And in some ways, Easter feels like delayed gratification. Because when we talk about Easter, we're usually talking about hope for the future. Now, don't get me wrong. I love having hope for the future. I mean, standing at a funeral to be able to remember Easter and the resurrection, that is great news. Every time I'm at a funeral of someone who believes in Jesus, I'm so grateful for Easter. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, it means that when your grandparents or your parents or someone that you love dies, you get to say, see you again, not goodbye forever. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, the life of your daughter or your friend has meaning. They and everything else about them is more than just an accident of the universe. I mean, the opposite of that is harsh. All the feelings that you had, the experiences that you shared were ultimately meaningless. But Easter reminds us that they have meaning, that this person is created in the image of God. They were loved, they mattered, and you'll see them again. That's powerful, life-changing stuff. That brings hope in the midst of tragic situations. I mean, the, the thought of looking forward to spending eternity with God in a place with no sorrows and no tears, no cancer, no death, because Jesus broke the power of those things. I mean, sign me up. That's all phenomenal stuff that I believe with all my heart. But it's interesting that that wasn't the message of the early church. The message of the early church was not Jesus is risen, now you'll go to heaven when you die. But that's generally what we boil the resurrection down to. It's important to spend eternity with God, but there's more to Easter than hope for the future. So today, I want us to take a look at the earliest sermon about the resurrection. And let's see if you can hear what the impact of Easter was that was originally preached. So from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. 
But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Drop down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Drop down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Did you hear it? Did you hear what the proclamation was? What Peter says the impact of Easter is? God has made this Jesus, little editorial note, the one you killed, both Lord and Messiah. That's the big deal about the resurrection. That was the hope that the church proclaimed. Because of the empty tomb, Jesus is Lord. Caesar isn't. Jesus is Lord. Vladimir Putin isn't. Jesus is Lord. Our addictions aren't. Jesus is Lord. Abuse isn't. Jesus is Lord. Degenerative diseases aren't. Jesus is Lord. Hatred isn't. This is an election year and Jesus will be Lord no matter who wins. There's a tremendous amount of chaos and fear in our world, but Jesus is Lord and is holding it all together. That's the proclamation of the church from the very earliest moments. Jesus is Lord here and now. It's not just about the future, hope that we have when we die, although it is that. The resurrection is about hope for today, about lives being transformed today, about the world being made new today, because God is doing a new thing. God is defeating evil and pain and death. God is making everything new. And that's what the first people heard. Jesus is risen. The world is different. Your life here and now can be different. And that brings us hope. Y'all know that I love N.T. Wright and I love what he says about this. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not after all have the last word. A worldview is just how you look at something. It's the grid through which you see the entire world. We all have one, even if you don't know it. Um, I have a friend whose worldview is that everyone is against him. We go out and whenever we go someplace, it's like you can see him putting on this defensive armor because in every situation he believes he's going to get, what's the sermon word for this? Taken advantage of. He only looks at the world in one way because that's the only way he's known the world. That's his worldview. But the resurrection means that a different worldview is possible because a different world is being made, where things are being made right, where everything is changing. And I look around and I see so many examples of how things need to be made right, about how things are obviously wrong. For whatever reason, I'm always selling my house. I'm always looking at other homes and traveling around and I just find that interesting. And I noticed that within the last couple of weeks, there are several celebrities who are all selling their homes for more than $30 million. $30 million. Do you have any idea what the mortgage on a $30 million house is? 
And I think about all that money that's just casually tossed around like everybody's selling their house for $30 million. And I contrast that with one of the things that we do around here, which is that we help to feed kids and their families who wouldn't have enough food to eat if we didn't help feed them. Talk about two very different experiences. When you look at things like that, people who have $30 million homes and people who can't feed their families for the weekend, we need a different world. And what I'm talking about is not a communist world. It's not a world where achievement isn't rewarded. It's not a world where people take away the money you worked hard for. It's just a world where kids don't go to bed hungry. We need to fix things. The world needs to be changed. And if the church only has hope for the future, but not for the present, I'm not sure that's enough. If it's only going to be about going to heaven when you die, then perhaps Karl Marx was right, and religion is the opium of the people. It keeps people focused on the future reward, and so they don't have to engage with what might make their lives better now. I love this sentence from Landon Schnabel, uh, who wrote a book about Marx's theory. He said, Marx argued that people seek comfort in religion and that religion suppresses emancipatory politics. I love that phrase. I mean, work in emancipatory politics into a sentence some this week. Um, but what he's saying is that, that people can be kept content with some promise for the future, and so they don't realize that their lives can be better. They can be set free from things. Now, I have no interest in unpacking Marx, but his commentary on what Christianity had become is sobering. I mean, Marx is talking about a situation where Christianity has lost its power. Following Jesus has lost its power. I mean, Jesus' whole purpose is to overthrow sin and death and oppression. Jesus prophetically speaks truth to power over and over. And the movement he founded all of a sudden loses its edge and becomes nothing more than a comforting story that doesn't promise change or hope for people until after they die. I mean, the religion Marx talks about no longer makes a difference in people's lives. It no longer offers them hope that because Jesus is with them, their lives can be different. I mean, is following Jesus just about fire insurance? Is it just a get-out-of-jail-free card? Have we neutered the gospel by removing its impact from our everyday lives? Easter, today, is an opportunity to examine the power of the resurrection again to take a look at what impact it has in our lives and to examine how we should respond to that. Jesus has risen from the dead. What does that mean for us here and now? Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When the people heard this, so I wanna go back for just a second about what they heard. 
Because when Peter talks about the resurrection, he doesn't give five reasons why the resurrection is historically true. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't defend it. He just proclaims it. He reminds the people of it. And he says, you saw this. We were witnesses. And a great number of the people he was addressing were either around when this is happening or had heard the stories. And everyone there knew that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. They just needed to hear why it was important. And so when they hear again, they ask, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent is kind of a scary theological word, which we usually think means be really, really sorry for whatever bad thing you did. That's not what repentance means, although being sorry for the bad things that you did is generally helping you on the way to repentance. Repent means to turn from something. So Peter's saying, stop living in the old way. Stop living with what motivated you in the past. Stop living with the assumptions of what culture was about. Repentance is about turning from something, but it's also about turning to something. So quit living in the old way and start living in God's new reality. Start living in the reality that God is creating. Start living in the reality where Jesus is Messiah and Lord. That's how to respond. And that's good for wherever you might be spiritually. I mean, maybe you've never experienced or encountered Jesus in a meaningful way. And if what we're talking about this morning sounds like good news to you, what do you do? Well, repent. Stop living the way you used to live. Stop chasing after the things that you used to chase after. Stop trying to find peace and hope in the way that you used to that wasn't paying off and start living in a new way. Give control over to Jesus. Start living in the new reality of the kingdom of God. That's repentance. And that's a great way to respond to the resurrection because that will change things here and now. But it's also good for those of us that have followed Jesus for really any length of time. We need to be reminded to continue stepping out of the old reality and to continue living instead into the new. Here's a thought I was really struck with this week. Our first instinct when we hear the good news of the resurrection, when we hear that God is working to create all things new again, our first instinct is to just think about how that affects me. Easter is good news for me personally. Easter brings me hope. Easter reminds me of God's presence. Easter is great for me. But Easter is also good news and hope for the world, for everybody in addition to me. And how does that work? Well, it works because you're in the world. It's part of the transformation when we follow Jesus. We begin to be changed and part of what Jesus helps us to do then is to be bringers of hope, is to be bringers of the reality of the resurrection is to bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. And I think about all of the ways that that is happening. I mean, think, about, think with me about some of the cool stuff that's happening by individuals in our congregation and our congregation as a whole, which is evidence of a new reality. I mean, how many families are not sleeping on the floor tonight because of the hours you served at the Northwest Furniture Bank? How many people feel loved 
because you sent a card or wrote a note or dropped a meal off for somebody? How many school kids have shoes? How many people had help with their groceries? How many houses have been built with Habitat for Humanity? How many rides given? How many glasses and doctor's visits paid for? How many people were given hope because you got involved in a prison ministry? How many people learned about the Bible and learned to think Christianly because you're willing to lead or engage in a small group? How many students at UWT had their lives changed because you provided staples that they needed during a difficult time? How many kids or students heard that Jesus loves them because you showed up to help at kids camp or to be a leader in student ministries? How much money has been given to help other people? Some of it in $10 increments, some of it in increments of hundreds of thousands of dollars by individual people in this church to make a difference in the world. That's all stuff that brings hope to people. That's all stuff that reflects the reality of the resurrection and the kingdom of God being present in our lives. We're living differently here and now because we're living in a new kingdom reality. Let me give you a helpful way to look at what this is like. Uh, you, you're all familiar with the fact that the Apostle Paul wrote a book called Philippians. It's a letter to the church at Philippi. Philippi is a really interesting city because something really unique happened with it. Rome, which is a long ways away, decided that they needed to put an outpost in this area. And so they literally sent thousands of people from Rome to Philippi and they started this city. And the people lived there, they were Roman citizens from Rome, and their job in Philippi was to bring Roman culture. Their job was to bring Roman DNA to this world. Their job was to be an outpost of Rome in Philippi. And that's our job. We're sent here to a place to establish an outpost, an outpost of the kingdom of God where we're supposed to bring the culture of the kingdom of heaven, where we're supposed to bring the DNA of Jesus into a world that doesn't know but needs that kind of hope. We're an outpost of the kingdom of God. We're living in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And our job is to live into that new reality, to give the hope that comes from knowing God to a world that needs to know to a world that needs to know that the most important thing isn't your body type, it's not your background, it's not your skin color, it's not the value of your contribution, it's not what you do for a living, it's not the grades that you get. The most important things, the values of the kingdom, are the fact that you are loved, that you're valued just the way you are. It's the reality that no matter what anyone else thinks, God thinks that you have worth and you're made in his image. And we get to remind people of that, or we get to tell people those things for the first time. You bring resurrection life. You bring the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. You establish an outpost wherever you are. That's why we pray each week the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it because it's actually a commitment that we make to be bringers of the kingdom of God onto the earth. And some of you are so good at this. You are on mission. 
You are loving people. You are changing structures. You are bringing hope. You carry Jesus and his resurrection life with you everywhere you go. And then, here's this really cool thing. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them, and they pleaded with him, with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Why were 3,000 people turning and following Jesus? Well, it was a work of the Holy Spirit. But how did the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit worked through the changed lives of the people that were telling the story. 3,000 people saw the, re the reality of the resurrection in the lives of the people who were telling them about it. People aren't looking for a set of beliefs. People are looking for something that really makes a difference. People are looking for a hope that changes their lives today. I mean, thank God that we get to spend eternity with him. I'm looking forward to that. But thank God even more that because Jesus is risen from the dead, we also have hope for today. So let me ask you three questions. What area do you need to turn from to experience new life in Christ? Number two, how can Jesus' resurrection give you hope this week? And number three, how can you be an outpost of the gospel this week?